God bless you. And on behalf of World Harvest Ministries, I'd like to welcome you and thank you so much for tuning in. In today's message, Brother Marty shares a prophetic word that the Lord gave him concerning the earthquakes that took place in Southern California during 4th of July week. And also how we must be ready for the Lord is returning real soon. And as the Bible says, he who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit of God is saying. Now we hope this word awakens you and deepens your understanding in God's word. Now let's tune in to today's message. Let me just share something real quick with you. Uh, on July the 10th, I was praying and God began to speak to me about Ridgecrest and the, and the earthquake. He did it by taking me to Isaiah chapter 6 where uh, Isaiah is lifted into the throne of God and, and uh, begins to see the Lord high and lifted up. You know that, that story? And... <clears throat> What we don't realize, unless you do some background study, is when it says that in the day that King Uzziah died, he didn't literally die that day. What happened was that he had gone into the temple and, and invaded the holy place. And he sought to burn incense. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. And he was banished from the kingdom from that day forward. So that vision that Isaiah had was on that day. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He really sought as king to take the place that only Jesus can take. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right. So with that in mind, I'm going to read something real quick here. So uh, on the 10th, I was reading and I, while I was reading the rabbinic uh, introductions to the uh, 12 minor prophets concerning the prophet Hosea, I believed I received an insight to the recent earthquakes in Southern California, which occurred during the 4th of July on Independence Day. The rabbis in describing Hosea's time said that the patriarch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob attained such a lofty level of divine service. This enabled future generations to rise in spiritual stature and prevented them, that is the children of Israel, the patriarch's descendants, from falling into the lowest levels of depravity. Are you following me? So in this overview, as I was reading that, uh, I began to see that the merit of their patriarchs or their forefathers, which had granted them mercy from the Lord, it eventually came to an end because of their sin. But they thought that they were immune from the judgment of God because of their forefathers or because they were so great. Because they had the temple, they really didn't believe God would ever judge Jerusalem or Judah. What they failed to recognize was that their blessings had come upon them, not because of, of who they were, but because of who their godly fathers were. And, it, and, and over the years, the mercy that God extended to them, it kept them from being judged. And it's why he sent prophets to them, to warn them and warn them and warn them that if they didn't stop what they were doing, they would be judged and the nation would be destroyed. So the precious heritage of the patriarchs had been exhausted. They had used it all up at that point. 
according to their rabbis, this is what they say, their spiritual level began to plunge and they could no longer count on God's providential mercy or protection. This precipitous decline happened in Hosea's time. Now listen, the period was marked by a great earthquake on the day that Uzziah, the king of Judah, entered the temple to offer incense. It is a pattern, I believe, the Lord was telling me, that we saw happen, whether you can see it or not. Because it was on the 4th of July that the President of the United States declared this great military parade in order to laud his great economic success and began on that day to proclaim the greatness of our nation. The same precise time that he was getting ready to give his speech, the ground began to shake at a level that we hadn't seen in 20 years. And not only that, it occurred where a naval base is. So while we're over there acting all bad and big and proclaiming America's great and so forth and so on, ignoring our spiritual and cultural condition, God uses the symbol of our military might on the other side of the country and begins to shake it violently at precisely the time we're parading and giving speeches about how great we are. <laughs> All right. So this is what the Lord told me. According to Isaiah chapter 6, it represented the beginning of the withdrawal of the Shekinah glory of God, the divine presence from the temple. It was beginning to leave the nation. And it was symbolized by a great earthquake. And what's incredible is when Uzziah went into the temple, he was celebrating a great feast. So the pattern holds out. While Uzziah is celebrating this great feast, God shakes the nation, gives a great earthquake. You can read it in the book of Amos, that the great earthquake occurred in the time of Uzziah. And uh, what's interesting is... <laughs> is it occurred in, in the southern, southwestern portion of, of the nation of Israel. And on that day, the earth began to shake in the southwestern portion, if you look at the map, north, south, east, and west, of the United States, during a great feast, at the same time. And I believe God was speaking. This went all over the world. And in case we didn't get the message... He shook it harder the next day. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. One earthquake, you could say, well, it's coincidence. But two, and the second one bigger than the first, <laughs> it's a sign. And what Isaiah was saying was that the presence of God was beginning to leave the nation and it was symbolic that it occurred at a feast day and it was, it, was, it was accompanied with a great earthquake in the southwest portion of the country. The same thing happened to us. July the 4th, there was a great shaking in the southwest part as you look at, at the United States. 
over in Ridgecrest. And in case we didn't get the message, it shook again and worse the next day. They even felt it in Coachella, right? You guys felt that? Jeremy, I think, texted me and said that the water was coming up out of his pool. Hmm? Is it possible, and I believe that it is, that God was sending us a message to this country, to his people now, that he's beginning, and I don't even want to hear this, <laughs> it's been a heavy, heavy week, I know. I normally don't preach like this, y'all know me. I'll preach you an encouraging message, but God has had us in the word, deeply in the word, warning us. And I believe he was telling us it's possible that our time has run out and that he is now beginning to withdraw his presence and protection from this nation. A house divided against itself can never stand. And America has reached proportions of absolute rebellion against God, not only from her people, but from her highest courts in the land. Her policies that were instituted by, by administration after administration. Her corruption of her school systems. Her education systems that no longer allow God to be brought forth into the classroom. Reaching to the very youngest children among us to corrupt them with gender identity and all kinds of crazy things that we're telling our children now. Literally, we're offering them to Moloch. We're burning them in the fire. When a society no longer protects its innocent... This was the process that would lead eventually to the destruction of the temple. America's church and nation now has the same attitude as Judah. Israel looked to the Temple Mount and felt secure. America looks to Washington, D.C., which in effect is its Temple Mount, thinking that it is too great to fall. Israel thought the Temple would protect them, and the merit of their forefathers made them impregnable and the greatest nation on the face of the earth. America thinks that it's impregnable because of its Constitution, and Washington, and Jefferson, and Adams. America thinks that its uh, forefathers merit its Constitution, and it makes them undefeatable. But the prophets had to show Israel that they were wrong. And God is raising up voices and has for decades telling America, if you don't repent, God will remove his protection from you. Now listen, the Lord has sent prophets to our nation. He's tried to warn us well in advance, but her churches, her people, they have corrupted themselves. We, they, have broken the covenant of our forefathers. America, like Judah and Israel of old, because their own misdeeds had undermined the temple's sanctity. Our culture has undermined the glory of God that once rested upon our capital city and throughout the nation. Their own misdeeds undermined the temple's sanctity, and they caused the Shekinah glory to begin its slow painful withdrawal from the nation. In the time of Judah, I feel his presence. 
In the time of Judah, it is said, until by the time of the Babylonian conquest, the temple had been reduced, even as Washington, D.C.'s buildings, etc., to an architectural shell without any spiritual content or moral character. So our nation and the so-called visible establishment church within it has become precisely as Judah and Israel became, as the rabbis so described their own nation before its destruction. A shell without moral character or spiritual content. Now according to Josephus, the great Uzziah earthquake occurred when a remarkable day was come and a general festival was being celebrated. Our earthquake occurred in the same pattern. Do you have eyes to see? The pattern on the great festival day. The king attempted to celebrate, but he was rebuked and an earthquake occurred as a physical manifestation of a spiritual condition. Our president gathered the nation on our highest, greatest symbolic festival day, the 4th of July, and the great earthquake occurred from the 4th to the 5th. One was 6.4 on the 4th of July, and just to make sure we got the message, the following day, 7.1. Do we have eyes to see or ears to hear? Do we have hearts that understand? It is no small coincidence that these two earthquakes occurred as our king slash president celebrates a great historical day, the 4th of July, a day in which America, he declared, America as the greatest nation on the face of the earth, calling upon uh, our founding fathers in his speech and displaying its military might and, and trumpeting its prosperity, etc., etc., and the earthquake occurs. And Uzziah's earthquake, it was, I'm sorry, it was northwest of Jerusalem in Hazor. And the Lord is speaking to our nation. He is removing his presence as the spirit gave it to me. And we have become, as it were, stricken with leprosy, which means we are an unclean nation. I don't like saying these things. I'm just a laid back dude, man. <laughs> I mean, I hear his voice, though. I hear what he's saying. And this whole week has been about warning his church, you who are gathered, those that have ears to hear listening around the world by way of Internet. He's warning us because he loves us. And he wants us to, as his church, his real church, to come away and to hide ourselves from this culture which is going down. It is irreparable. It really is. If you think that once we reach to the children that we actually are going to say, oh, we, we kind of blew it and we're turning back, that ain't happening. Even now, I was watching lectures where our institutions of higher learning, the professors, and even the American Psychology Institute is now putting forth the idea that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. Oh. 
Did you hear what I just told you? You can look it up. It's happening. In France, they tried to introduce legislation that would limit the ability for society to engage in sexual contact and they wanted to set a minimum age and the president of France, Macron, refused to sign the bill. And so there is no minimum age and there is no protection for the children. The same is happening in Canada. We were there. We, we were on a we went on a uh, trip to Alaska, and when we got back, we read in the newspaper, this is a couple years ago now, where they had just passed legislation where mothers and fathers are no longer allowed to identify their children as a boy or a girl. And now in our country, the same thing is being said. The same thing is being proclaimed. And across this land, we are corrupting the minds of our innocent children with the filth and the demonic doctrine of those who are possessed of demons. So that even our churches, mainline established churches, whether they be Methodist, Presbyterian, United Methodist, even some of the Baptists, and go down the list are now changing their doctrine and saying that it is by interpretation only and, and, and that we can welcome in this demonic lifestyle that is flooding the earth and our country. We have reached an incurable place. And when times are like this, and they are rare throughout history, but when they come to this, God begins to move. Brother Marty, what do you see? Well, I'm telling you what I see. As we go forward in the election cycle, things are going to get more crazy. If we put our trust and hope in men, we will be destroyed. But if we pray and cry out to God, it very well be, may be that he might give us a moment of grace, not so that we can kick back on our couches and be consumed with our satellite television and our iPads and iPhones and all the madness that we're so indoctrinated in now. Try going to dinner with most people nowadays. What's going on? He says, Yeah, exactly. Now, according to Josephus, the Uzziah earthquake occurred when a remarkable day was come and the general festival was to be celebrated. The pattern on the great festival day, the king attempts to celebrate, but he's rebuked, and an earthquake occurs as a physical manifestation of the spiritual and moral condition of the nation. Our president gathered the nation on a great symbolic festival day, and two earthquakes occurred within a 24-hour period. Do we have eyes to see? 
Do we have an ear to hear and do we have hearts that understand? It is no small coincidence that these two earthquakes occurred as the king slash president celebrated that great historical day of the 4th of July, a day in which America, he declared, as I just read to you, uh, <laughs> was great. And, and he called upon the memory of our founding fathers. He displayed our military might. He trumpeted our prosperity. And at that time, the earthquake occurs. The Lord is speaking to our nation. He is uh, removing his presence. And we have become as it were, stricken with a leprosy, for we are an unclean society, and we, and we continue to refuse to acknowledge it or repent. The Lord, however, has his people, those who can hear and those who can see. Let us compare spiritual things with spiritual. Let us understand the signs of our times. This shall we do if the Lord will allow us to see. And I believe he has and will let us go forward understanding our Lord is soon to return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I won't be long tonight. Fifteen minutes. Open your books to the, uh, the, 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 thy Bibles to the, to the book of Luke, please. Gospel of St. Luke. And continuing in the flow of what we're talking about. I wasn't sure if I was going to share that, but I, I sense his presence. Are you in Luke? Chapter 1. Let's read this. If you're there, say amen. There was in the days, verse 5, I'm sorry. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. However, they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. They were both well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he, speaking of Zechariah, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. You will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Hallelujah. Let's take this subject tonight for a very few minutes. I won't keep you long. Verse 10. The whole multitude of the people were praying without. And the title of the message could be pretty much said. The time of incense. The time 
of incense. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the beautiful music the children sang. We thank you for all you've done this week and all the people you've encouraged and all that you have begun, Father. I pray that this presence of your spirit would go forth into our homes, into our communities, and those listening around the world, into their houses, their churches, wherever there is a hungry heart that is truly seeking thee, Lord. Seal that word and bless thy people. Help us tonight, Father, to speak what you have placed in our heart. And we ask for your grace, mercy, and peace to do so. Holy Spirit, open the door that we might hear what thus saith the Lord. We give you praise and thanks. And in all things, help us to magnify Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. I want you to stick with me for a moment as, as I give you what I feel in my heart here. In verse 5, we're told that an event, uh, or in verse 5, basically our attention is drawn to an event that's about to unfold before us. The Bible says that, and our attention is drawn to the days of Herod. It, was a, it is a prophetic signpost to that generation, but also to us upon whom the ends of the world have come. Because we are told in the Old Testament that God is going to send Elijah before the great and the terrible day of the Lord. In other words, just as John the Baptist was risen up by God in the first place before Jesus came, John would preach ahead of Jesus' arrival, right? In the spirit of Elijah. Yes, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So the same thing is about to come upon the church, the true church. They will, in essence, begin to proclaim the coming of the Lord. We've been talking about that all week. But this also has its greater fulfillment in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 8. And we'll, we'll hopefully get that far tonight. And I'm going to hurry. But I want to describe some things to you so that we can see profoundly what was taking place here. <clears throat> Herod, in essence, was the culmination of a political situation that had been unfolding for almost two, three hundred years. The Jewish people, as we were describing earlier... They experienced the destruction of their temple and their nation by the Babylonian Empire. They were carried away, and there they would spend 70 years. At the end of 70 years, Babylon would be overthrown, and the Medo-Persian Empire would arise. You've heard of Darius and Cyrus and Artaxerxes, all these kings... And they would decree, that is, Cyrus and Darius would decree that the Jewish people could return home after 70 years and rebuild their temple. So when you read about the temple in Luke that Zechariah was in, you're actually reading about a temple that had been built a few hundred years, or rebuilt, I should say, a few hundred years before. Rebuilt by a generation that had come out of captivity that had experienced the judgment of God. That 70 years of exile in Babylon so corrected the country that they, they personally would never again give themselves to the idolatry and the worship of devils that had brought the destruction upon their nation to begin with. 
So they came out and they would lay the foundation of the temple. And the Bible tells us when you read about it in the book of Haggai, you can read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah. When they laid the foundation of the temple, those who had been little kids, when their parents were carried away captive, 70 years later, now they're a bunch of old people, <laughs> like me, <laughs> a bunch of old people. But also with them were a bunch of young people who had only heard the rumors of how beautiful Jerusalem was and how spectacular the temple used to be. And so they set off. They came to Jerusalem. They were led by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. There was an anticipation. There was, a, there was an excitement on the road. There was a divine protection by God as they would return and be moving as a culture under the prophetic word of God, which was paving the way for the next phase of his unfolding plan, which would ultimately result in the coming of the Messiah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when they laid the foundation of the temple and they began to build it, the Bible tells us that the young people began to shout. But the older generation, some of them had been old enough to remember the glory of Solomon's temple. They began to cry because they remembered its glory. And this, this what they were doing now, they remember this doesn't look anything like what we had before. And it was really sad to them. But to the young who had never seen anything like this, they were anticipating something great to happen. And so there was both joy and sadness. But then what happened as they began to weep and cry and the children began to sing and dance, the prophet Haggai would come and he would begin to prophesy and say, who is left among you? that remembers how great that temple used to be. He says, how do you see it now? And he knew, because they were weeping and crying. He says, I tell you the truth, whether you realize it or not, this second temple that you're building, the glory of it will be greater than any glory you ever saw in Solomon's temple. Now they couldn't understand how could that possibly be. What they didn't know and what Haggai was doing by the Spirit of God was declaring the reason the glory would be greater is because it would only be a few centuries from that point where the one who made all things, Jesus Christ himself, would walk in that very temple that that generation was privileged to lay the foundation for. Wow. Hallelujah. 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 A foundation has been laid through the centuries of the church. And we know that the glory that is coming now, it is not just coming to, uh, to a stone temple. It's coming to the entire planet. And he will indeed come to Jerusalem. And he will indeed set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And truly, indeed, the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than anything we've ever read in this book. Jerusalem would experience many, many armies that would go through it through the centuries. Whether it was Babylon or whether it was the Medes and the Persians. 
or Alexander the Great who would come. And over that interim period for about 300 years leading up to Herod, great shifting of global politics would take place. Alexander would come. He would conquer the known world. It is said of Alexander that when he got to Jerusalem, that he came to the outside of the city and that the high priest at the time, Simon the Just, I believe it was, if I could be wrong, but I think that's what his name was, he came out to meet Alexander. And he was clothed in his robes, his high priestly robes. Alexander saw him and the Spirit of God hit him and, and he was taken aback as the rabbis record that the glory, his name wasn't Simon the Just, that came later. I forget his name right now, but he came out and the glory of God was on the high priest. And rather than destroy the temple and the city, he was overcome with a sense of reverence. And, and it's said that he came out and they met with Alexander and they opened the scrolls uh, of the prophets and showed him where he was in the prophetic word of God and that he was a great king as Daniel their prophet had written about him and he spared the city. He takes the Sanhedrin and the high priest and he moves them to Egypt, to Alexandria. You ever heard of Alexandria, Egypt? It's famous for the great libraries that they would amass all the wisdom of the known world of that day. Yes. And, and, and they would come there, and he was so taken aback by the prophetic scriptures that he found from the Hebrew uh, high priest that he commissioned that they would write the Old Testament in the language of Alexander, Greek. And that's where we get our Bible today called the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures. So it, it occurred there. Alexander would die and his kingdom would split into four. As prophesied by Daniel, the four generals who led the campaigns of his army would split up and take over the territory that Alexander had conquered. One was General Ptolemy, one was General Cassandra, one was General Lysimachus, and one was Seleucus. Seleucus would take and occupy that territory of the Assyrian Empire. It would become the Assyrian Empire, in a sense. The Syrian place from where Antiochus Epiphany would emerge. He would come into Jerusalem years later and desecrate the temple. And out of this desecration, a small band of people known as the Maccabees would rise up and begin to fight because they had desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. And so as a result of this, they led insurrection and civil war. And they defeated the mighty Antiochus and the Syrian army. They cleansed the temple. And, and they, that's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah. They rededicated the temple. And at the time, they were supposed to have purified oil to relight the lamp, the menorah, in the holy place. They only had a one-day supply. 
It would take several days before they could repurify the oil. But this is the miracle of the light. That one day supply of oil stayed lit for eight consecutive days while the oil was being prepared. They call it the miracle of lights. We call it Hanukkah or the festival of lights. The Maccabeans became a great family. But political intrigue and the development of religion began to happen. This is where we get out of this whole move. We get the Sadducees and and the Pharisees, the Essenes, the rabbinic class, the culture of it all. In this, you begin to read, if you read your history, you'll read about um, Augustus Caesar. You'll read about uh, uh, um, Ptolemy. You'll read about... Cleopatra, and you'll read about uh, Octavian, and you'll read about all these names that you know, and I'm calling out to you, Mark Antony, all these names. And, and what began to happen was the Herodian family began to rise in the subsequent 166 years that were left. And out of this, through political corruption and assassination and all kinds of crazy stuff, and cutting a deal with the Romans, they came. They overthrew what was left of the Alexandrian kingdom, and Rome began to rise. And as a result of this, speeding way up, Herod would become king and would be set in his position of power in in Jerusalem. And he would rule, and he was in power. And now the entire Roman Empire was in power. And for multiple years, in order to endear himself with the priestly and the ruling class, the church of their day, he rebuilt that tiny little temple and expanded it. When you see those rabbis at the Western Wall, you ever see that? Pictures? All them rabbis are praying at the wall. That's what's left of of the Fort of Antonia and, and, and the Temple Mount where Herod had expanded. Herod did that. And that's where they go to pray. That's all that's left. Because Jesus said not one stone would be left another that wouldn't be torn down. It was fulfilled, right? So what we have left is this part of a wall that actually attaches itself to what was the Fort of Antonia where the Roman legions would hang out in Jerusalem. Now, back to our story. So you have now emerged over a few hundred years a political religious class who began to turn from God and in order to ensure their survival they engaged in political power plays in order to ensure that their remember when Jesus showed up in the temple and he made a whip And he said, what have you done to my father's house? He said, you've turned it into a den of thieves. The whole temple had been infiltrated by turning God's house into a money-making operation. And it was like that when we begin this story. And Herod protected them. So you had a merging of the religious with the political. And at its heart was a desire to keep its prosperity and maintain its power as the ruling religious class. That's what we see happening in our country. The White House is filled with a bunch of preachers. 
I'm making some of you nervous. I know. That's all right. I'm just asking you to think. They're trying to protect their religious power. And they knew that if Hillary was elected, she would have burned them at the stake. They saw what Obama did in that he embraced Islam and rejected Christianity. But this was, in my opinion, a moving and allowance of the Spirit of God to wake us up. But rather than repenting for the leadership that was being brought before us over the last 20 years, the church doubled down and began to get political, compromising to protect their power. Thank you, thank you. Amen, brother, (laughs) sister, I mean. (laughs) They doubled down. Now look, are you against President Trump? No, thank God he's there for now. But he's not my savior. And he needs to get saved. But what's really horrible is he's got a bunch of religious establishments types around him who are insidiously creating voting blocks, telling the body of Christ that he's saved when he's not. How do you know he's not saved? Because the other day I heard him giving a speech and he used the the name of the Lord in vain. A person that's born again and filled with the Spirit of God cannot take the Lord's name in vain. But he used the name of the Lord in vain and all the right-wing Christians were in there clapping. It was the days of Herod and it's now the same kind of political climate and religious climate. When the people and the establishment loses its anointing and walks away from the established orthodoxy and traditions of our elders who came before us, they go towards trying to ensure their political and religious power by cutting deals with the governments of this world. And that's where we were by the time we get here. And that's why Luke points it out. But what's beautiful In verse 5, he says, and I'm hurrying, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah's name, as you know, those of you who have heard me preach out of these passages before, Zechariah's name means God remembers, and Elizabeth means his oath and his promise. And so what was being said by the Spirit of God, and as quickly as I went down this road of history to you tonight, was that even though it looked like it was, it was a settled thing, when you could least expect that into this powerful, globally dominated society by Rome corrupted religious establishment that had its tentacles in every church house, synagogue, all over the land, and its ruling elite were in cahoots with the religious, I mean, with the political and and the Roman power of, of, of Rome, the Caesars, to maintain itself. Into this climate, when you would least expect it, the Holy Spirit says, God remembers his oath and his promise. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And he's saying to us in this hour, yes, it's a horrible thing we're witnessing. Yes, it looks like Western society is crumbling to the ground, and it is. Yes, it looks like we have the rise of communism from the Chinese side of the world. Yes, the Russians are flexing their muscles muscles and creating their missiles. Yes, Islam is on the rise and persecuting the church across Africa and the Middle East. And yes, Western Europe has fallen into a backslidden, idolatrous state. And yes, America has corrupted herself and her churches have been infiltrated by doctrines of devils. But I came by to tell you, God remembers his oath and his promise. Hallelujah. (laughs) They were barren. They were blameless. God was holding them back for such a time as this. It says of Zechariah, and if I have a few moments, I can paint this. It says in verse 8, it says, It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest, his lot was to burn incense. Now listen. It was a special day. See, God was moving by his spirit. And I've tried so haltingly to paint this picture in order that we could really understand the beauty of how the Holy Spirit moves. Because in the midst of man and his systems, the devil flexing his muscles, God takes a humble priest and his wife and says, in spite of the power that's all around you, I can bring it all down with just two little people right here who love me. And I'm going to use them. Zechariah was maybe 60 years old. He had been coming to the temple for 30 years. It says after the course of Abijah. These, what that means is that King David back in his day had instituted how the Levitical priesthood would come to the tabernacle and temple and serve God. They would come twice a year. And this was Zechariah's time. Sixty years old. He'd seen Herod rise. He'd seen the Roman government totally take over the world. He'd seen his brothers in the Sanhedrin and, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees corrupt themselves and become politicians instead of priests and preachers and prophets. And yet he faithfully serves the Lord. Now, his number came up and he goes to Jerusalem from the Judean hills. He wasn't welcomed into the religious establishment. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't valued by his own brothers. He was a poor priest, yet he had a divine right upon his life given to him, and its roots go all the way back to Moses and Aaron. God knows who has his presence. God calls who he calls. And when he brings you forth, whether you realize it or not, you can be moving into the very perfect purpose of God and not even know it. When you least expect it, he's going to radically move in your life as he is right now. They would come to this great temple. And when it was their turn, they would come and, and they would have to stay there for like a week or two. And they had a room where they would go. Both the young priests and the older priests would gather, some 50 of them. 
and in there they would they would sleep the doors would be shut and they would sleep there was a man called the captain of the temple his job was to come between three o'clock in the morning and six in the morning and knock on that door the priest's job was to be ready for the knock because he never knew when he was going to come and knock. Those that were ready, they would open the door and they would be selected to work within the house of God that day. We have a perfect picture in that because it required that they would rise early, not knowing when the captain, who's really a type of the Holy Spirit, would come and knock. His job as well was before he would knock, he would go to all the gates of the temple, which was this huge place. You've seen pictures of the Vatican, how big that place is? The temple in Jesus' day was like that, in Zechariah's day. And this captain, sometime between midnight and six, he would go where all the gates were and there would be priests on guard. And if he found a priest asleep while he was guarding and protecting the house of God, they would strip him of his garments, banish him from service, and burn them. When you read Jesus in the book of Revelation, when he says, Blessed is he that keepeth his garments... That's what he's referring to. Blessed are my children that are awake and that are zealous to guard my house from any intruder. Pastor, what are you doing? Preacher, what are you doing? Are you guarding the house of God or have you fallen asleep? The captain, the Holy Spirit, a type of the spirit would go throughout and search the temple guards looking. This is in the middle of the night. You have a whole room full of priests, some 50 of them. Some of them are asleep. Some of them are so excited they can't wait to be ready for when the knock comes. And some have become so familiar with their duties that they're asleep when they should be up seeking God and ritually cleansing themselves so when the knock comes, they don't have to go and get ready. They're already ready. Preacher, are you already ready? Zechariah was one of those who was. See, they would go and they would take a bath. It required, in the middle of the night, they would go and immerse themselves in a ritual bath of water, cleansing themselves and then putting on these beautiful white garments, and they would wait for the knock. Others would fall asleep, but those who were ready would go. What is that a type of, Brother Marty? Well, first of all, do you not know that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation? That washing that would occur was symbolic of the Word of God. The Bible calls uh, what Jesus did for us as the washing of the water of the Word. Symbolically, they immerse themselves in this water. There's a special grace. I'm talking to preachers now. And those listening, you preachers, pastors listening around the world. 
It is why God wakes you up in the middle of the night. David said, you spoke to me and told me to seek you early. And my heart said, yea, Lord, I will seek you early. I'm talking to preachers. There is a special grace that comes upon you at that time. It is there that he speaks to you. Because the whole world is still and quiet. It is there that you develop your intimacy, preacher, and you, intercessor. It is there that you, you are shut away with God. I'm just not a morning person. Well, then you're not a real preacher. <laughs> you're like them boys that were asleep in that room when the knock came. See, the knock came, and it wasn't like, oh, he's here, let's get ready. The knock came, and they already were ready. There's a special pride you feel, not an arrogant pride, but a special pride you feel knowing, I'm ready. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When nobody was looking, I was getting ready. When nobody paid attention, I was praying. I was fasting. I was washing myself in the, in the, in the word of Almighty God. I was waiting and listening for that knock because I knew it would come. Because he was ready, this would be the day where he would enter into the prophetic fulfillment of God. He didn't know. But it didn't matter because his love, perfect, it says, blameless in all the ordinances, the commandments of God. He was blameless, him and his house, him and his wife for years, 30 years. But this day, the knock would come and he didn't know it. God will bless you when you least expect it. God will call you when you least expect it. Will you be ready? Are you ready, preacher? There's a special grace when you're in that realm. It doesn't happen overnight. He, he, he hides himself from you to see. Jesus didn't say... The actual word, <laughs> when you knock, I mean, do you just go, <laughs> I, got, I got up at three and, uh, dang, all I felt was, was sleepy. <laughs> yeah. So you went, I guess he ain't there. I don't want to be all religious. I don't want to get in bondage. Uh-huh. No, no. Jesus said, <coughs> and then the doors open. Oh, praise God. It begins that way. Knock, and it shall be. I'm talking to preachers and saints of God who want to get serious with God, want to go to the next level. Because believe it or not, not just those 50 guys in that room were being called for temple service. But there was also people who had the privilege of being uh, participating lay people, as they called them. 
people that weren't of the priestly class, but who had a zeal for God and were recognized as being holy people, they too had part in the temple service. They couldn't go into the most inner parts, but that didn't matter to them. They had the spirit of David where he would say, my God, a day in your courts is better than a thousand in all the tents of the wicked. God will use all of us. There's that special grace. Knock and it will be open. And, and they begin to develop a spiritual strength and a training of the flesh to where the flesh wakes up and goes, ain't we getting up today? <laughs> yeah, we'll get up today. We'll get ready. We'll wait for the knock. And before you know it, you become, you become a man or a woman of God. My God. And he begins to train you, speak to you. Well, that's what was symbolic about this. Zechariah, 30 years. Now, it's so beautiful because when the knock comes, they gather themselves into what they called the hall of stones, polished stones. And those that were ready would go. And in that, they would reach into this bag and they would pull out stones. And on the stone was written in Hebrew what their daily duty was. In other words, go and begin to prepare the temple for worship. That's a type of us seeking God in the word, getting everything in order. You know, I, I'm kind of weird. Sometimes when I'm seeking the Lord, every time really, I can't begin until I made my bed fluffed up my pillows, you know, laid out my pencils and my Bible and wave at all my commentaries and, you know, listening to the word the whole time. You know, I play the word on, 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 on recording, hearing the word, and then I'll sit. And I learned from Brother Leonard Ravenhill, he says, sit in his presence and just be quiet and let him begin to bring things to mind. And then when you're fully awake, Hit your knees and talk to your Heavenly Father. And when His peace fills your soul, then come to His Word and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And He will. And you do this day in, day out, day in. And you suddenly begin to build a capacity both in word, in prayer, in anointing. So when the devil comes and tries to test you with what you used to easily fall with, it just bounces off you. My God. And you don't even recognize yourself anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They might tell you, ah, man, you weren't you? I don't know who you're talking about, brother. <laughs> Do you know Jesus, right? You know? So... So they come and they knock. And this day, Zechariah and, and, and those that were with him were ready. And they gather in the hall of stones and they're given their daily instruction. And the first thing they do is they go throughout the whole temple with torches. That speaks of the revelation of the Spirit. And they inspect the entire temple to make sure that there's nothing in it that is unclean or might have come in it during the night that made it unclean. What is this a type of, Brother Marty? When he wakes you and you begin to seek him in that way, you go and inspect your life by the Spirit to see if you're ready. This is even before they offer a sacrifice or burn any incense or say a prayer. 
they first inspect the temple to make sure nothing unclean has entered it. And that is that quiet time of reflection when we're before the Lord. To see what is he pointing out in your life? What is he bringing to mind? He doesn't try to be mean. He just simply says, when you go to prayer, bring it up before the Father and he'll take it from you. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid to tell God what you're going through. He already knows, right? <laughs> well, I can't tell him what, what I did the other day because he might get mad. At, Are you serious? <laughs> he knows. Tell him. Well, it's hard for me to even say such things. Until you do, you won't be free. But when you, I'm not telling you, don't, don't go telling your neighbor because they'll tell everybody else. But when you tell God, he cleanses it, he covers it, he washes you, and he gives you the strength to overcome. And you go on. So they go and they inspect the temple. When they're done doing that, in the interim, a priest, he makes his way to the top of the temple. And he's waiting for something. He's up there, and all the prepared boys are down there doing their thing. After they make sure everything's cool, they come back to that hall of stones, and they reach into the bag again. And in that, now they are able to go and begin to do what they must do to prepare the brazen altar, to trim the lamps in the holy place, to stoke the fires. They do this. And they enter into what they call the temple. Everything else is built around it. But the temple is where the brazen altar is. The brazen labor is. The, the altar of incense. Table of showbread. And, and the candle. And that's what they go to do. And while they're doing that. And, and they're getting all the ashes out of it. They're trimming the lamps. So that it can burn bright for the day. That's repentance. That's reflection. That's removing everything from the gunk of the day before and making sure that today, oh God, I will do my best to burn brightly, unencumbered, and unhindered by anything in my life. And while they're doing that, there's a priest on top of the temple. It's like 400 feet up. And what he's doing is he's looking. He's looking for the break of day. He's waiting for the sun to rise. And as soon as he sees the first light of sun, I read an account where it says that as the sun would come up from the east, that it would, it would like a blazing fire light miles away, Mount Hebron, which is where kings are anointed. It's the Holy Land speaking. They may not have understood it, but God was saying, the day is coming, the day is about to dawn, my light will dispel the darkness. And he draws their attention to Mount Hebron, which is where King David was anointed. He speaks about the anointed Messiah that's coming, King Jesus. And when he sees that Mount Hebron is lit by the first ray. You know, in the mornings when I'm over there at our house, those of you who get up early, you know how the, these mountains up here, if you're looking at them, that as that sun comes over the east, it turns them a blazing red, right? You ever seen them early in the morning? The Sierras, that's what it was like. The priest would see Hebron catch on fire almost by the rising of the sun. And he would then call to three priests who would stand at the gates of the temple. And they would lift their silver trumpets and blow them. 
calling all of Jerusalem to the worship of God. Unbeknownst to them, early in the morning, the faithful priests who were ready were preparing the way for them so that when they came to the temple, it was a holy, consecrated place. And they'd blow those trumpets and the people, they would begin to rouse and and wake and they knew their priests had done their job. And then the priests would come, those boys... At least they would come finally dressed and cleansed. <laughs> and they'd come and they would open these massive gates, the Corinthian gates. You read the story in the book of Acts where that, that man's on those steps, remember? And that beggar. And Peter and John say, silver and gold, we ain't got none. You know, They, they would go up these steps and, and, and they'd go through the gates. Those were those huge Corinthian gates, heavy, heavy. And they would open those. And God's house was open. Now... The second time, after making sure everything's ready, they gather back into the hall of stones, and now the third time they reach into the bag for their duties for the day. And it's then that Zechariah, after all those faithful years, he reaches into the bag, and he pulls out a white stone. It's the only white stone. And it only happens once in a lifetime. After he does this, he's forever known as the rich Zechariah. Because this stone signified that he would have the opportunity to go into where the altar of incense in the holy place is and offer prayers for the nation. Once it was the culmination of his ministry. While he's getting this stone and those duties are now being apportioned, something really profound happened. The high priest comes. He's dressed. He, he goes off to a, a, a little portion and, and they bring forth a lamb they've been keeping. And the high priest inspects the lamb. This is every day. In the morning and in the evening. But this time they had no idea. They were only nine months or so away from the real lamb that was about to be born. They bring out a lamb and they inspect it. And they make sure that it has no blemish. Because it represents the Lord Jesus Christ who was without sin. He was the Lamb of God. They then lead that lamb out to the brazen altar. Which is the outer court. Which has been cleansed and prepared. And they ritually take the lamb and they bind his little legs. And the first thing they do is they pick it up. And they lay it, and they lay it down, and they make his little head be facing toward the north. What is this symbolic of? If you read your Bible and you know it, the Bible talks about the north being the place where heaven is. It's symbolic of how this spotless lamb would yield himself to the will of heaven. And then they turn its little face toward the west, which is where... The presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. For this Lamb who has come from heaven came to make an atonement and to destroy the power of sin. This was all done for hundreds of years, yet they couldn't see. But that day, this type was about to begin to be fulfilled as Zechariah was preparing himself 
to go into that holy place and burn incense because an angel was about to appear and declare something's coming. They would take the lamb and before they take it off to a side room, inspect it again, typifying Jesus' interrogation. They would then, before they would kill the lamb, they would pour in a big golden bowl water from the, the Gihon Spring, a natural spring. They would pour this water in this golden bowl and they would let the little lamb drink from it. And then they would kill it. Typical of what happened to the Lord. This golden bowl is, represents divinity. The spotless lamb of God would be drinking the fullness of the will of the spirit of God before he was slain. Then they would, they would kill it. And they would pour its blood in another golden bowl and they'd bring it out to the priest by the, by the brazen altar and he'd take that blood. And the altar, we haven't really seen it, but I know from my studies, it's pretty big. And, and, and in the middle of the altar is a red line. So you have this altar and they drew a red line all the way around it. And it was there that he would take the sacrificial blood and he would sprinkle it below the line. Because... The upper part represents heaven. Below the line represents the earth. And every morning they would sprinkle the blood below the line, not realizing that what God was saying is this spotless lamb, full of my spirit, will be slain for your sins and his blood will be shed upon the earth. And he will offer himself wholly to me in heaven. That was done. And once that was done, while they were doing that, there were two witnesses or two young men in the holy place trimming the lamps, making sure the table of showbread was good, making sure the fire was burned bright. They would back out from the presence of God because that's where the ark is. And then Zechariah would enter. And he would come in and he would begin to offer incense and prayers. And it's at that moment... The people are outside during the time of incense, praying. Zechariah is on the inside, praying, functioning as the great high priest. And Gabriel appears to him and says, Fear not, your prayer is heard. The culmination of all the centuries. This great people who had been promised by Moses that a prophet greater than him was yet to come. That moment. This humble priest who for 30 years faithfully served God was now commissioned and called to fulfill his purpose in the earth. Don't think just because you ain't in your mind doing anything that nothing is ever going to happen with you. Prepare. Be faithful. Walk before him. And when you least expect it, that which you knew once in your heart was your calling, it will come. And he will speak to you and say, fear not, your prayer is heard. And he would reveal to him that his son would be the forerunner, the prophet of God, who would herald the coming of the Messiah. Church, are you ready? Are you positioned? Can you hear his voice? Something marvelous is being born to the real church. You are about to be infused with the spirit of Elijah. 
and you're going to be changed forever. For it is the time of incense. It is the time when God's people are beginning to cry before Him and say, How long, O Lord? And the response is, Church, thy prayer is heard. And Elizabeth would say, God has visited me to take away my reproach. I didn't look like much. My ministry was reduced to nothing. We're just humble little people here. But he's given me something that'll go down in the annals and records of the very libraries of heaven themselves. My son will be the prophet that heralds the coming of the Lord. This generation, this church will be the prophetic time frame that we've been looking for. We will be the church that will declare the coming of the Lord. And we already are. We already are. Now, let's close with this. Revelation chapter 5. And I want to show you something. Because the Lamb has come. Amen? We no longer need to to slay a lamb. For he was slain on Calvary. Amen? John. Remember, what happened in the temple was was a picture of the real temple in heaven. John has shown something. Now John, some say, was actually a Levite of the priestly class, which is why he had such access when Jesus was on trial. Remember, he was allowed to go into Caiaphas's house without anybody restraining him. It's because they knew him. And his family was of the priestly class. He had access, and he was able to follow Jesus. Well, when he writes, he writes a lot like a Levitical priest would write, because he pays attention to things that have to do with temple worship. Look what he writes, and what God shows him in Revelation 5, based on everything he's been, we've been speaking tonight. Look it. Now you understand when it says um, in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. That's temple. Remember I just showed you how the lamb is slain before the, the odor of the incense is offered? Look at This is why he sees him as if he had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sits upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fall down before the lamb, everyone having harps and golden vials full of odors, which are what? The prayers of the saints. Time of incense. Only our lamb, he's not dead. He's alive. The lamb has been slain. And what's coming now is the second part. The lamb is taking the book, which is sealed with seven seals, and it's about to be unloosed. It is now the time of incense. That's why John sees this. He sees him resurrected, and the time came. Remember, he wept because no man was worthy, right? But he says, no, 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 the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's prevailed. He's telling us. He's walking up to the Father to take the book and the time of incense has come because the odors are about to be offered.
The prayers of the saints are about to be offered. And what will happen? They will sing a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals, for thou wast slain, and you have redeemed us unto God by thy blood, out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made us unto our God, what? Kings and priests, and we shall reign with you on the earth. That's where we are right now, church. It's a time of incense. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, I have an inkling. Jesus is getting ready to walk up and take the book because he's already been slain. And we, as a nation of kings and priests, must offer those prayers and say, even so, return quickly, Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise you, Lord. Are you glad you came? Hallelujah. Ryan, will you play something? Praise you, Jesus. Just play. Lift your hands to heaven. Heavenly Father, we just thank thee and worship thee for thy word. We thank you for all that you are revealing to your church, both all those that are gathered here and those that are listening around the world. Father, we pray and issue a call to your people. Even as the priests with the silver trumpets issued the call every morning in Jerusalem for the people to come to the house of the Lord, even so we issue a call to the true church, those who know who they are, those who love thee, Father, with all their hearts, that they may hear your voice and come. As King David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For a day in thy house, O Lord, is better than a thousand in all the dens of iniquity this world has to offer. Preserve our families, preserve our children, and help us, O Lord, to be ready. When the knock comes, when you, when you come and call us to our purpose, each one different, each one uh, destined by God to fulfill. But let us be ready, O oh Father, and equipped. Let us be ready when thy, that knock comes that we might hear thy voice and joyfully go forward, knowing that we have prepared ourselves by the grace of thy spirit and have been cleansed by thy precious blood and stand as kings and priests in the earth of our Most High God. Help us, Father. Cleanse us now. Wash us and prepare us so that we may answer when you call. Father, I bless your people. I bless those listening around the world, their wives, their children, their families, their grandchildren, aunts, uncles, cousins. I pray for them, Lord. I pray for a special anointing upon those that hear what the Spirit is saying, that you would anoint them, O oh Father, to speak to their neighbors, to their loved ones, to their children, and a special grace will be given that their families and their whole house would be saved. Time is running out, oh Father, we know this. And Father, we go forth from this place thanking you and rejoicing you for all the great work you have done this whole week. And we thank you, Father, that you would seal the word in the hearts of your people. Bless everyone who came into these services, whether it was one night or every night. 
and bless those who could not. But those who were here and those that you have touched, we pray for them all, that they would go from this place and go forward, O Lord, into the destiny of the coming of the Lord. Let the spirit of Elijah come down upon the church and preserve our families and our children. We will worship you, glorify you all the days of our life. The spirit and the bride say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, that our King is coming and we shall soon see him and hear the sound of that trumpet that calls us up to heaven that we might behold the glory of the Lamb, the beauty of the Lamb, the majesty of our Lord God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. We worship you, we praise you, and we rejoice and thank you, O Lord, for all you have done, all you are doing, and that which is yet to be. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. And all God's people said amen and amen. Go ahead and clap your hands for the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, Father, help me say Once again, we'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest message. And if you would like more information about our ministry or would like to give, you can go ahead and visit us at www.worldharvestministries.net. Thank you so much for the prayers and support. And as we say here at World Harvest Ministries, keep looking up. God bless.